somebody once told me the world is gonna roll me I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed She was looking kind of dumb with her finger and her thumb in the shape of an L on her forehead Well, the years start coming and they don't start coming Fed to the rules and I hit the ground running Didn't make sense not to live for fun Your brain gets smart but your head gets dumb All right, here we are. Back again after hmm, three months, <laughs> four months. Yeah. Wait, hold yeah. on. Give I just heard that cat in the background. <laughs> yeah, she wants to go out immediately as soon all as right, we start. All right, all right. Immediately. <laughs> okay. Okay. So here we are. Um, you're inside some sort of basement thing. And I'm <laughs> in my room. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's uh coming, it's, coming off coming off a hot shrek weekend <laughs> yeah yeah just had a great weekend uh seeing uh a really cool local production of shrek as you've never seen it before uh <laughs> and uh maybe yeah yeah it was a pretty immersive experience in a lot of ways so I live down in Olympia and we have this kind of big yard space. It's like a little venue house. We call it Mantis House. And um, uh, a group of performers put on a, th the name of it was called Punk Shrek Gay, the play. And uh, it's pretty much <laughs> what it sounds like. It's like a, a queer punk version of Shrek that weaves in elements of Olympia, the town of Olympia, where uh, I'm recording this from. It's just like a spinoff of Shrek, but with a lot of BDSM and sexual shit and nods to things in Olympia and um, a lot more direct acknowledgement of some political themes that go on here, such as, you know, trans issues, homelessness, eviction, gentrification. Anyway, so that's kind of, that's why we're doing a podcast episode on Shrek. I don't know about you, Fiona, but I can say that we would not probably ever do an episode of this podcast solely about the intellectual property of Shrek had we not had this experience. Would you agree? Yeah, I have a personal vendetta against the movie because ever since it came out, everyone has always assumed that I was named after Cameron Diaz's character, Fiona, uh, Princess Fiona. And that's just, um, just look up when it was made and it's, uh, it doesn't align with when I was born. So um, I came first. Yeah, <laughs> let that be known. I think like 9-11 happened maybe like three or four months um, after this movie got released really okay yeah so if you remember 9-11 if you're old enough to remember 9-11 um you were not named fiona because of this character yeah <laughs> you were already too old <laughs> that's a great way to remember it yeah 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 but um <laughs> you know we have these like conversations about how like oh like how like old is like dating too young a person if you don't remember 9-11 you're too young <laughs> <laughs> that's that's easier than that, doing that, math honestly it's easier than doing math yeah 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 um but yeah I don't know Shrek was all right whatever but uh just a children's story I didn't think that much of it um but I it you is were too uh, cool <laughs> yeah it is it is ever present in my mind actually on a daily basis because it's brought up so many times whenever I introduce myself to someone. This was a, a nice, refreshing new take on it that cleansed my palate, cleared out some of my 
animosity towards it. It's, I mean, it's, again, it's like, it's all right as a movie. It has a lot, it touches on a lot of eternal themes that I wanted to get into a little bit, like themes in the movie versus themes in the play. Themes in the movie, mm-hmm. it's kind of talking about like, mm-hmm. as with every fairy tale, there's this like adherence to a strict beauty ideal that is then questioned in some way, although not really usually as much as this one. I think this one really tries to, I, I think Shrek among the fairy tales gets more into that than some others. You know, it's like they're playing with that a lot more. And then um, identity and oppression a little bit in, in Shrek. I, I actually had more in my notes about Shrek 2 than Shrek 1, but this play that we saw focused more on Shrek 1 because Shrek 2 is where they then like they're married. They've gone through the institutional bullshit anyway, whatever they, they got married uh, despite being a non-normative relationship. And then they go meet the parents and that's the whole plot of uh, Shrek 2. Uh, Shrek 2 is like meet the parents. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that gets into yeah. a lot of juicier themes, I think, but we're mostly on Shrek 1 today. I think Shrek um, as presented, and I, I don't feel like we need, maybe we can like touch upon some details that most people uh, might've forgotten about, but I don't think we need to like, everyone she's here has seen Shrek. So I don't feel like talking yeah. about the whole plot. To kind of rewind a bit, like I remember first seeing Shrek, the movie when I was young. And as far as I remember, it was the first thing that I had seen that was like, what if we made fun of fairy tales? It was very much, we're going to make fun of Disney and we're going to like lean into being crass and being rude. And like, I like watched both Shrek one and two a couple days ago. And you could not do that with like Disney at all. Like there's just like sex jokes, bodily fluid stuff. It's a lot more like surprisingly vulgar movie than I remember in a lot of ways, especially maybe the second one. But I think it was the first thing that I had seen where it was like, oh my God, it's like they're making fun of fairy tales, which there's been other things like that. But I think Shrek was the first thing that really... I don't know. I, I was like the perfect age for that kind of stuff. I bought the soundtrack and I know the soundtracks are very iconic for a lot of people of our generation. And to me, I feel like this production of Shrek, this sort of live theater production, this very R X-rated, you know, version that we just saw in my backyard a couple of days ago. When I first heard that they were doing it, it felt like kind of an ironic thing. Like, oh, they're doing like an ironic version of Shrek. And then the more I watched them rehearse, the more we realized how much work this group of like a dozen cast members put into this. And the more, I guess, political and social content I kind of remembered was actually in there, not just originally, but just kernels of other things that you could then pull out and just run with and draw from. I don't think it was an ironic interpretation of it at all. I think it was actually very wholeheartedly loving of it um, in a way that's just pure nostalgia more than it is ironic jabbing. Yeah, no, I mean, it it was like Shrek, the adult version, um, which Shrek, the original is already, as you said, kind of crass and for DreamWorks, which didn't they produce it? DreamWorks. Yeah. Yeah, Steven Spielberg's company. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. With Mike Myers and Shrek. When I was trying to recall the plot, I thought it was an adaptation, but it's not really an adaptation. It's its own like insertion into the fairy tale verse of this is a new fairy tale, an unusual fairy tale involving non-pretty people and unconventional values, such as 
I just want to be left the fuck alone. I just want my peace, whatever. So this one felt like uh, definitely a loving adaptation of it for mature audiences. Do you have, when it comes to the movies, let's talk, maybe talk about the movies for one second, just like just the movies. Do you have like a favorite or which one do you, what are some of like memorable parts, if any, that you remember? And I know, I feel like I've been like baptized in Shrek where you've just sort of dipped your toes in maybe. I've like, I've seen, I saw the play four times plus a week of rehearsal. Plus I watched movies one and two. Yeah. You, <laughs> All in the week. You had a, a healthy head start there. I haven't watched these movies in a decade or so. I don't remember them too much, except actually the music. The music really slapped mm-hmm. when I watched it in the theaters. Yeah. I was like, yeah, that's so cool. Um, and I, yeah, I, I, I always really dug fairy tale stuff. So honestly, this felt like strange in terms of just like how little of a fairy tale it was, how little it incorporated fairy tales. It just sort of like had nods to the various creatures and they're all lumped together as these outcasts. The fairy tales are at the, like, the fairy tale creatures are at like the bottom of the hierarchy in, in Shrek one. The humans are at the top in, in Lord Farquaad's uh, realm. And, yeah. but yeah, it doesn't really go into any of that too much. It's, it's just about like Shrek and. Yeah. Well, I think it's an example of one of so many things that you watch when you're a kid and then you watch it later and you're just picking up on all these new things like for example that part where the pig he's like he huffed and he puffed and he signed an eviction notice (laughs) and like when you're a kid the like joke is like oh it's like you're gonna doing like a fairy tale thing fairy tale thing oh suddenly real life kind of like procedural thing you know like you don't need to worry about being evicted when you're watching this when you're like eight right most of us hopefully (laughs) but when you're watching this and it's like and then he signed an eviction notice it's like oh shit like wait a minute that happens all the time like that's some real things that happen to me and to other people i know and can really fuck people's lives up um it sort of shows how willing they were to take directly like real issues in society and just kind of seamlessly weave them in but yeah i don't know do you want to talk about shrek one i think shrek one's really interesting and you can see how the people who made the play saw Shrek one clearly as a story about gentrification, purification of all the undesirables from Lord Farquaad's perfect, perfect kingdom. And I think what you mentioned something about the like creature hierarchy, right? Maybe talk about the like creature hierarchy politics. Yeah. And just watching that little analysis earlier that brought that that brought back a lot. I honestly should have rewatched the movie for this. But this is a, a YouTube video that that we both watched earlier. Yeah, it was just like a queer analysis of Shrek. As I remember it, the movies really were about like you have your protagonist who just who's an ogre. He just wants to be left alone in his swamp. But then the fairy tale creatures come to his doorstep because Lord Farquaad, the evil autocrat of the realm is this uh, sort of Napoleon type figure who's like in his perfect kingdom with his cookie cutter houses and everything must be pure and pure to him is devoid of creatures. He He's uh, I think in the beginning of the movie, magic. he's like, yeah. And magic in the beginning of the movie, he's sort of like carting all these creatures off to concentration camps. And I, or, or it's wherever. pretty dark. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty dark. Like I, 
I just saw one clip in this person's analysis and it was the, the three bears and, and the, the little bear was separated from the parent bears. Yeah. Uh, it was so and sad. it was, it was like a sort of like, <laughs> you know, are, is this like at the border or something? He's, he's like, this cage is too small. He starts crying. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you're not wrong that Shrek was really trying to touch on real life issues in the world that maybe would have flown over the heads of the prime audience, but not the adults watching it. But so Shrek goes on this big voyage to first go to the person in charge to get everyone off his land. And then when he realizes he has to like work with Lord Farquaad, or Lord Farquaad, after he like, after Shrek comes in, storms, storms some big event and is like, okay, I just want all these people out of my land. Lord Farquaad strikes a deal with Shrek and is like, oh, I've been told that in order to get my, to secure my social status and be able to come into my inheritance as ruler of this realm, I have to marry. Ding, ding, the, uh, the institution of marriage shows up yet again in a fairy tale. So he has to marry a princess. He has to find a princess. The magic mirror helps him look through a couple of contenders. And he's like, okay, Princess Fiona, you'll do. You're hot. And so he's already selected somebody he wants. And the magic mirror reveals that she's locked away in a tower guarded by a dragon. And Lord Farquaad doesn't really want to do the dirty work of rescuing her. So he sees this rough and tough outlaw come in, storm the castle. And he's like, okay, you could probably do that again. You could probably rescue Fiona for me, bring her back here. And then I'll, I'll I'll get everyone out of your swamp in, in return. So that's, that's like the movie and, and the rest of the movie is a rescue mission turned into a love story, turned into a betrayal. And and then it goes to the end where there's some happily ever after. That in case, that about in case you've never seen the movie Shrek. Yeah, sorry, that was a bit long-winded, but they did the the so that was the movie, and the play did adhere to that, but then it just like completely adapted it and like turned it into you know it's like uh, Alice in Wonderland turned it upside down and spanked it a few times. Yeah, so I think the to me I view Shrek one and two actually as the same text. I don't think most. I think a lot of people stopped after Shrek two. I don't think most people saw Shrek three or four or whatever. But to me, I see Shrek two without going too much into too much detail yet as just a kind of continuation of the themes of Shrek one. Mm, we could talk about maybe the like queer politics of it and which we can do, but I'm also fascinated at the idea that Shrek is a libertarian <laughs> or, or could yeah, possibly be politics. coded. Yeah. Could possibly be coded as this slight, like apolitical landholder who could really kind of mm-hmm. go and does go both ways. Like he works for Lord Farquaad. You are immediately introduced to a, a group of people at the bottom of the social hierarchy, the undesirables, the magical creatures, the animals. It's interesting that a donkey is is at the like lowest end of this. He's not even human, right? They're being pushed off their land. They're at the like lowest end of the social hierarchy. The humans are at the top of the social hierarchy. And then Shrek is like in the middle a little bit because it's noted many times throughout the movie that, yes, nobody likes him. Everybody immediately wants to kill him. This is something he's used to. He's prepared for another day as an ogre. But also he's a landowner. He is very physically powerful. Like he uses both of these things to his advantage. The fact that he has land gives him an incentive 
to get these squatters off the land, right? The fact that he's big and powerful gives him the leverage to make a deal with the local capitalist fiefdom, right? Lord Farquaad to go and, and be a kind of private contractor <laughs> so that Lord Farquaad can marry a princess and therefore up his, his social status to be a real king. So it's interesting because Farquaad and Fiona, in their own different ways, are kind of doing this to achieve their social status. Like Fiona, because she wants to be a real princess and get rid of this magical curse that turns her into an ogre. Farquaad, because he wants to become a real king and by marrying a princess. He doesn't care about the love or anything. You know, I mean, maybe he finds her attractive, but he's Fiona is a means to his end, right, of becoming mm -hmm. a real king. But I, I, one thing that the video that we watched earlier said about this whole Shrek universe is that it's about self-acceptance as much as it's, as it's about uh, other people accepting you. Because one thing that's unique about Shrek as opposed to a lot of the main characters is that he has self-acceptance. Like he is 100% a very body positive example of a person in this film. One of the only people in the movie that is actually 100% okay with who he is and what he looks like. And even like the hatred too, that he in some way rightfully or wrongfully has come to accept that everybody has upon him. The whole like movie or movies, it's like Fiona's self-acceptance that not only like she herself is beautiful but like she herself is worthy of love because she has this condition right that she thinks makes her not worthy of love it's about like Farquaad desperately clinging to his like uh social status of like perfection when like he himself is extremely short and goes out of his way to like make sure that people like don't see him as a short person hot take this movie says it's okay it's not okay to make fun of fun of fat people but it's totally okay to make fun of short people <laughs> <laughs> yeah short dudes they're still at the bottom of, of the hierarchy <laughs> yeah i yeah. mean not not to uh not to focus on shrek too much because i think there are a lot of interesting characters to focus on but he has the the titular character his self-acceptance comes on strong in the beginning but it's sort of he has he has layers as he says in a very famous scene and part of that is that he's um the video mentioned earlier that he has sequestered himself from society as a defense mechanism to because he knows that society rejects him so he kind of owns it but deep down, he's extremely lonely. And so when he does see someone who's willing to just like be at his level of grossness, he falls in love very easily with Fio with Princess Fiona in her human form uh, because she she's acting naturally around him. And I, I think that it also harps on a recurring theme of once you once you find someone who completely accepts you, you found true love. So Shrek does find love and that sort of, breaks down some of his resolve to be this like loner and exposes some of his deeper insecurities about being so isolated and alone. And he, he really, you know, wants, wants love in the end, like anyone else. Okay. Perfect segue. So I mentioned earlier for one second before I deviated into self-acceptance that Shrek is uh, the kind of like libertarian landholder swing voter a political get off my lawn kind of guy. I think what you said about like, as the movie and the play goes on, at least, especially in the first one, actually. And, and I think in the second one too, like 
the second one actually kind of completes this the circle actually because i see them as like one movie essentially um he realizes that like he can't be alone not only that can he not be alone because he needs love and all creatures need love but like also at the end of the day solidarity forever he has more in common with the rejected magical creatures than he does with the human world which is why it's like so great in 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 movie two when they all, all the magical creatures come and rescue him and break him out of prison and like which is funny breaking him out of the uh the hands of the carceral carceral state which at the end of the day is going to come after him too you can, even when he is in his human form remember he takes a potion in shrek 2 he, he turns human he first second yeah and to me it's about like learning to have solidarity with other creatures even who you think you might have not have anything in common with because at the end of the day you have much more in common with them than you do with the capitalist feudal lord who Fast has all struggles unite us all exactly exactly and it's so funny that there's even a line i don't know if it's in the movie but it's definitely in the play that we saw this weekend where shrek is like yelling at donkey and they're just like a job is just a job donkey it's not anything more than that mm-hmm. and um you know donkey is very hurt donkey represents the kind of like sensitive talkative expressive side so you, shrek is a emotionally dense some might even say layered person that, that has his, his his emotional density and his adherence to a type of like psychological density of like not expressing himself being very masculine i guess in the movie um or coded that way as opposed to donkey's like expressiveness his vulnerability um his at the end of the day him being on a still a still a lower end of the society i hate you list than even shrek possibly because at least shrek is powerful yeah and how when he says like a job was job is just a job donkey it's not anything else and how you know shrek for that moment is rejecting the idea that you are at any way connected to other people through your work or through the a common persecution or just a common interest yeah, common he, common plot devices uh, have have a foil of your protagonist, and Donkey is Shrek's foil. Donkey is like everything. Donkey is like the complement to Shrek's character, and so they are kind of like a package deal there. Does foil me? I thought foil meant like arch enemy. Like the opposite. Well, I think foil is like the opposite of your character. Yeah. That is true, though. That is true in that case. Yes. Uh huh. Uh, someone who's presented as a contrast to another character. But mm-hmm. so I don't know. Yeah, Donkey is a super interesting character as well. And in the play version, Donkey was great. Uh, I saw two different actors play Donkey in a matinee and an evening performance, and both brought a different like energy to the character. Uh, and Donkey, yeah, Donkey is like the emotional core of the play. Like Shrek yeah. is always like deflecting, has like lots of shit he's got to work through. Donkey's just like bear. Donkey's the id. Donkey's like the the just like pure. I want expression. Yeah, yeah. expression. Sometimes um, won't stop expressing himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, I thought that uh, that's where I was getting the strongest like Shakespeare vibes in this whole experience, mm. especially the the just like reference to like the jester sort of character. Somebody's got to be made an ass of, and Shakespeare loved that shit too. So 
watching this in the woods with that it felt very Shakespearean yeah no I'm interested to hear to hear anything else you want to say about that I know you were definitely more of a Shakespeare nerd growing up than I was and I know maybe just like common character tropes or themes or even just the setting or costuming was kind of like this you said you reminded you of like Midsummer Night's Dream at one point. Well, I mean, definitely because of Bottom, that there's like literally a play within a play in Midsummer Night's Dream. Some of the human actors who are putting on a play for the royals in the human society, they are all the comedy. So in, in Shakespeare's comedy, comedies, that that was defined as like any play that ended in a wedding or a you know happy event like that. So Midsummer Night's Dream does fall into that category. And I just, I I was getting so many shades of that, not only because he's making a lot of like ass jokes. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm an ass. I, I, I will always be. All my holes are assholes. All my holes are. Yeah. That was even better. It was like one upping Shakespeare right there, but also just the dirtiness. Shakespeare was always about, um, Shakespeare was very much about, uh, uh, incorporating some crude humor for the masses. The ro- it, you know, it flew above the royals' heads, who the plays were written for, but he injected some uh, base humor into the plays that were supposed to speak to the masses, who he, you know, wanted to appease as well. Uh, so this yeah. very much felt like the like very like dirty comedy that Shakespeare could have written. If maybe if he was in a sex dungeon. If yeah, if he like had been exposed to BDSM and uh, kink. Shrek Two is really interesting because they model Far Far Away, which is the kingdom that Fiona's from, to look like L.A. and like Hollywood. Oh yeah. And the whole struggle between assimilation versus isolation is a constant thing in both of these movies. And when they go to Far Far Away. It's a very different kingdom than Duloc. Duloc is almost a kind of fascistic efficiency and minimalism, I guess, and like modesty of, of like perfection. Whereas Far Far Away is the abundance, the multiverse, multiplicities of choices and fast food and signs and style and things. Celebrity like culture. Celebrity culture. Yeah, it's very, very, just very capitalistic in a kind of overabundant way. Like this is America. They're showing us, you know, Duloc does not look like America. Far, far away looks like America. Um, But they're still like strictly adhering to these beauty standards. That's very much like, yeah, it literally is Hollywood. They have like Joan, what's her face, uh, doing like the red carpet. uh, Oh yeah. What's her face? Yeah, Joan, what's her face? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, and how the dad actually secretly you find out at the end of the movie is a frog. And so he is the person who's like the most against this like union between uh, Fiona and Shrek. But he turn- learns at the end, he himself actually is a fairy tale creature and it has been so repressed and assimilated into that society that he like is threatened by the reminder of it when it comes to Shrek and Fiona. Super interesting. Yeah, that was honestly one of the parts of the analysis YouTube video I watched that I felt like I could get my teeth into. Like having your parents, facing your parents' horror over their children's choices, which make assimilation into society more difficult for them. That was Shrek 2. And that was a uh, a big, I don't know, bit that I've read about thought about a lot um in the course of being in a poly relationship their their self-acceptance 
And then there's societal acceptance, but family acceptance can sometimes be the hardest one to actually tackle because your family should love you. They should accept you. But when you're not met with that acceptance from those people, it's like a, I don't know, a deeper wound that you have to overcome. So I, I liked, uh, I liked revisiting Shrek too, just for that reason that it was so focused on like family acceptance. Yeah. I think that you broke it down pretty good there. Like between like self-acceptance, social acceptance, and then family acceptance. And I think I'm breaking it down in that order, even though society seems so much bigger than a family, there's places you can go. There's communities you can find that will absolutely accept you way before your family does. You know, even if society at large has its ups and downs with its acceptance and uh, freedoms and, and, and whatnot, but there's at least a lot of places you can go for like a refuge for a found family. But if your family family, your blood family doesn't accept you, you're shit out of luck. Yeah. So I liked that. Um, and oh, yeah, I liked the the bit about um, Fiona is very affected by her family's lack of acceptance. You know, her mom is is sort of at face, her mom tries, her mom, it really tries to accept her and tries to like talk down the dad who's just like raging behind closed bedroom doors about this union. And is like, Oh, I can't believe she married that over blah, blah, blah. I like that, uh, that the YouTuber pointed out uh, that Fiona's solution to all of this is ultimate is um, at some point after being sad and everything uh, that they stop trying to like act like ogres that they they try to act more like people and she's encouraging shrek to to act more act less ogre like maybe then they'll like you more act more respectable um what is what does that mean that means act more like a human um or you know act more like a posh royal so she's it her like progression there with self acceptance and family acceptance is super fascinating Uh, she's the one who has the you you know you know you never meet Shrek's family so she kind of has um she has a lot more to battle honestly she's got being a woman she's got all the pressure from being from having all these family expectations put on her and you see that that internal battle there's a line early in Shrek too when Fiona and Shrek get into a fight uh she's like you behave like like and he's like like what say it he's like like an ogre and she's like well guess what i am an ogre and it's not about to change anytime soon and then fiona says i've made changes for you shrek and then she just walks out the door and it's uh-huh. a kind of moment of realization like she has made a lot of changes for her for him like she essentially sacrificed her entire birthright as a princess to be with this guy so she could take mud baths and fart in them like a hot tub and it gives shrek like a realization like wait a minute this is like the beginning of him realizing all right maybe i'll try to make a good faith effort with the dad because yeah i guess love is about sacrifice right is that i don't even know what i'm trying to say but i thought that was interesting which was about like okay if it's about isolation versus assimilation it's not like one versus the other you kind of need to maybe do both but it's like a constant dialogue between like what's too much and what is necessary or even necessary to have a functioning relationship yeah yeah i mean it just it gets to like the levels of experience honestly made me think of polysecure and like the nested model of trauma but your your levels of experiencing the world and how your own personal level you, you can't just isolate one you can't 
nobody, no man is an island, et cetera. You can't just like live in your swamp and not interact with the world. You have many different relations and many different points of relating to the world that you have to relive your your trauma at every level. But it's a lot easier when you have other people around you. So any points about the play or are we saving that for part two? Uh, it was great. We uh, There was about four showings, three night times, mm-hmm. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then a matinee during Sunday afternoon. God, I mean, each play got at least... The matinee was probably the, the lowest attended, and that was still maybe 100 people, you know? That was like the, the lowest was 100. I think Sunday night was... God, felt like 250 or something. I wish I had done a head count, but it was honestly overwhelming to even try. And I tried. Yeah, word word obviously spread that this was the the place to be last weekend. And I think, I don't know, it's just like there was laughter at all the allusions to themes in Olympia. Uh, So it was very adaptable to a given city issues. I don't know. I I thought it was great that they really laid in the whole like punk scene and uh, had a lot of nods to, to various like cultural elements of Olympia there. Um, The fairy tale creatures are all like crust punks living in a, living in a house that they're getting evicted from. And then they're like, Oh no. It's it's funny because there's stuff that was very crust punky that people laughed at the, Oh, I have the, jail support tattooed num- jail support number tattooed on my leg or uh the donkey constantly asking everybody if they have a cigarette um yeah i loved all the improv like i i sensed that there was a lot of improv in this show and it was mm-hmm. it was great and i think donkey instead of a dragon it was like the like sex dungeon master that donkey eventually like donkey like fell for and it was like madly in love with the sex dungeon or at least was you know uh had their um their sensory is awakened by the experience. Yeah, Donkey in the movie is this very expressive, exuberant character, um, but still repressed in their own way. And they, and in the play version, they got to address some of their repression, their their deep sexual repression when they go to the sex dungeon to rescue the sex worker Fiona. Um, and Donkey runs into the dungeon master, who's like noticing donkey hovering in the corner looking really intrigued by all of the kinky stuff going on and they're like okay how about you uh how about you come in and uh and then you just see a really get on your hands and knees (laughs) yeah get get down and and then you see a, a very incredibly intense and amazing like spanking scene for like 10 minutes straight (laughs) and you're like okay Mm -hmm. there's milk involved spitting milk into the audience they're like get 10 feet away from the stage because you're going to be in the blast zone but nobody was safe the splash zone and people Uh in the audience were wearing like it will not be water uh-huh yeah people brought their own ponchos yeah yeah, I, i love the people who i love the people who like showed up twice didn't you know who were probably in the first row uh the first time and then came back for a second performance didn't get a, a row further in the back but kept their first row seat and instead brought a poncho yeah like no, no 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 i came here to get spit on like i didn't try to avoid it i am preparing to get spit on i'm looking forward to it oh yeah yeah so there is a there's projectile milk splashing um while being spanked in the ass um and uh yeah and some just uh there's like a what like a 10 minute masturbation scene (laughs) yeah (laughs) um 
Yeah, they're like, I'm still also, going. Also in the movie, which I, they downplayed in the movie, but he, I, I remembered from that video that Lord Farquaad is in bed and is like looking at the mirrors, like swiping on all the hot girls mm-hmm. that he could choose from. And he's, he's like, he's masturbating in bed in a uh-huh. low key way. <laughs> they would, they would not be able to do that today. Yeah. No. Yeah, and, and instead of having the like magic mirror parading these like different women around like their game show prizes, the play switched that to like Tinder. They're like swiping, and it's yeah. just like perfect, perfect, uh, natural. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, love that. They also showcased their uh, porn, which was that the inspiration for the play? They they made a full like link. No we'll have to invite Sophie on and ask. Yeah, question for one of the actors. The sex dungeon part was very memorable. The milk spitting, the milk splash zone was very memorable. There was nudity. There was an orgy scene at the end uh, where people actually like pissed on stage on other humans. <laughs> <laughs> it's usually not the first thing people think of when they think of the word orgy. It's like someone had an orgy. Oh, really? Yeah, there was so much pissing. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's the, that's something else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I loved it. That was like no holds barred, especially by the last performance. Um, they, mm-hmm. they were. I, I talked to Sophie, who was one of the uh, co-directors of it today um, down in our forest because they're just, you know, deconstructing everything. Like ultimately all the cast has just like hickeys all over themselves, <laughs> like, probably from the after party that they went to. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Where they probably li- like literally had an orgy, who knows. But they were, there was, had so much like stuff in their backstage, just like food and cans and props and chairs, just all sorts. They basically lived in this little dust corner for about a week leading up to this play. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're listening to all of our listeners out there if you're just like listening to this recount of the play you might be wondering if it was any warning or whatever if there was a warning um I thought that they they just like really modeled consent in a cool way throughout like with audience with the cast everything so it was very it was very much like forewarned uh forewarned is forearmed great all around Mm -hmm. I think I, I think I saw a baby show up during opening night, but that was about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was a couple like, perhaps like 15 year old looking kids who showed up to the, you know, place where we're serving food and drinks. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. That's Olympia. But uh, I, I'd say maybe, maybe not family friendly unless, uh, unless your family rolls that way. But no, I'd say it's very family. Bring, bring your grandma, you know, she'll enjoy it. Yeah. So themes in the play that I thought um, you you just touched on repression. And I thought that was a, an interesting one that mm. really got a lot of airtime in the play. Yeah, can we talk about that a minute? Like how mm. re- repression, oppression showed up in the play. I thought that you had several characters exploring sexual repression. We mentioned Donkey. Uh, we I, I loved they had these two Chads or Chad and Brad or whatever. These two characters, Chad and Thad. Chad and Thad yeah. These two characters who went from being like uh, Karens trying to approach the swamp and I'm just like forgetting some of the lines, but there were some great lines about approaching Shrek for the first time when they're coming up to the swamp and they're like, oh, I don't know if it's good or whatever. Uh, but then they, 
they played a lot of different sort of duo pairs throughout the show and they're like homophobic in one scene and then they're like vigorously fucking in the next scene and they play two dudes who just were I don't know sex was in every scene in this play there there was some some kind of sex in every single scene I felt my favorite scene which Thad and Chad is when they're cleaning up the mess they're like having like a little like spray fight with those spray bottles and they're like <laughs> they're just spraying each other and then after every kind of teasing flirtatious interaction they have together they immediately like pull back and they're like oh okay oh no i'm not like not okay not okay not okay yeah <laughs> yeah, like, yeah no homo no homo <laughs> yeah yeah and by the end of the play they're just like shamelessly going at mm-hmm. it yeah 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 i think the uh, um repression is the absence of self-acceptance in a lot of ways i think there's like society stuff built onto that like you can't know yourself unless you're like you have the opportunity to explore yourself. So Mm -hmm. society and the self have to come together. You know, society is the water that waters the seed of your own self-exploration. And if you have no opportunity or water to explore yourself, you will never know yourself because you need opportunity. You can't just like know yourself and then be in a box. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, I think that it was something that the movie did not do very much. They, They definitely didn't go to the lengths that the play went to in terms of exploring repression they, they well not sexual oppression. repression <laughs> yeah i think yeah. they probably did you know for free kids movie it's like okay fiona you don't find out two-thirds of the way through that she's an ogre and then the the, the there's a lot of like rep, i don't know about repression but maybe denial in in the shrek movies um which is maybe the same thing. Like the the dad who's a frog the whole time, but is against magical creatures. Lord Farquaad, who's obsessed with like perfection, but he himself like is just extremely short. Uh, Fiona, who wants to be human, but is really a Shrek who she thinks is unworthy of love because of it. Yeah, yeah. It's it, like that, that grapples with identity a lot. The movies grapple with identity and self-acceptance. And you could, yeah. You, you could make the, the case for repression. Um, I guess the play is just explicitly like queer identity, sexual repression. God, the bios were so good of the cast. They put their heart and souls into making this a beautiful, like queer masterpiece of a play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was great. They told me at the end of the play that they're planning on possibly taking this on tour. Yeah, I heard, I overheard yeah. some talk of that, which they definitely should. I told Sophie they need to incorporate the names of like all the city streets in the play because it's what's funny what tickles everyone in this play is because they're saying street names that we're all familiar with or venues we know or you know oh they shut down this this really cool all ages hardcore venue and now it's like a Whole Foods or something. <laughs> so you're saying that they could go whichever to city they town, go to yeah. they do need because otherwise everyone's yeah everyone yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, they're talking about us and i was like they could put on a play like this in hundreds of cities across the united states and the themes would be the same you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah it would resonate um, all right well hopefully we can uh, in the link to this we can put a link to where you can purchase a dvd copy of the play because they did make dvds of this play mm-hmm. um and the uh, money raised for this play goes to a couple of the community fundraisers for some people um in addition to, of course, paying some of the cast members. Um, but this is all mostly a total just a volunteer labor of love. 
Mm-hmm. And it was inspiring to see. I think creativity just inspires me because it's not just about spontaneous expressions of creativity. It's like discipline, scheduling, administrating. That's creativity too. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Craft. Their craft. Yeah. Emphasis on labor. Definitely put a lot of work into this. Mm-hmm. Sex work, theater work, admin work. A theater. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Who's okay. your uh, Who's your favorite uh, non-main character in Shrek? I I the most memorable character for me was the dungeon master. Even though they didn't really have a lot of lines, what they what they lacked in dialogue, they definitely made up for in uh, emphatic uh, spanking. So that was a memorable character. Um, very like tall and imposing and immaculately dressed. Um, but I don't know. I really liked, um, I don't know. Farquaad's character was, was fun. Like the two did very different takes on Farquaad. Um, I liked how Fiona was portrayed the different iterations. They, they were all so well done. Probably donkey's repression was, was a compelling one for me too. The evolution of donkey's character. What about you? My favorite character is Mongo from Shrek 2. From the movie? Yeah. Who was that? Mongo is the giant gingerbread monster that they create uh, in Shrek 2 to storm the walls of the castle. He's like this gigantic gingerbread man. He's like, ho, ho, eh, ho. And the knights on the tower wall dump a huge, like, pail of milk on him. And he's like, no. It starts melting. Oh, it's really sad. I got the milk idea. When he's he's like drowning drowning in the moat with the with the actual little gingerbread man Gingy, he's like no no no, and then <laughs> Mongo's last words are like be good. And oh my dies. god! <laughs> oh my god! That's such a like Groot moment. The movie is fresher in your mind than mine. I I don't know. I I can't really remember <laughs> Sorry, the <I> characters. <laughs> uh, any final thoughts? Uh, great. Great doing another episode. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a fun I just play. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. We'll, we'll draw some links in the chat and more episodes coming very soon. Very to soon. headphones near you.